Hello, friends. It's Julie. I wanted to let you know that the Angel School is back. For those of you who don't know, my Angel School program does two things for you. First, it certifies you as a Reiki master teacher. That's right. You are going to become a Reiki master teacher which means that you'll learn how to feel energy, how to feel into the chakras, how to understand the pain that's there and remove that and clear that from people's chakras, from their auric field. Not only can you do this for others, but it's going to teach you how to do it for yourself. Also, with the Angel School, you learn how to connect with your angels, your guides, and your loved ones on the other side. You learn how to bring through your messages for you and for other people. Some people love to take the Angel School because they want this information for themselves. They want to be able to connect more deeply with their intuition and really feel aligned all the time. Other people feel called to do this work as a job or profession. And if that's you, that's fantastic. Let's get you certified so that you can be working on other people, on clients as a Reiki master teacher and as a certified angel messenger. For details on all of this, go over to my website, jancis.com or email me and we will get you all registered. You're listening to Angels and Awakening, where we believe daily life can be lived from a constant state of love, joy, peace, bliss, ease, and grace. Why are people always searching for a better way to live? Because there is one. Life doesn't have to be stress-filled and anxiety-ridden. You can make lasting changes that lead to a life you love. My name's Julie Jancis. I have the gift of connecting with angels and bringing through their healing, positive messages to my clients every day. Join us on the Angels and Awakening podcast each week as we explore big spiritual questions, interview experts, and bring through angel messages. I'm so excited you're here. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll try to use the word spirit as I'm talking, but for, for me, for myself, spirit, God, divine, they all kind of mean the same thing because it's something that to me kind of, there isn't a perfect word for. Yeah. Um, and I think people use the words that work for them. So I'll probably use the word spirit. Sometimes I use divine or God actually. Um, so when I was 17, I was a senior in high school and I just, I, like a lot of kids, didn't know what, where I was going to go next. I was going to be graduating, but I, I didn't know what career or where, what I wanted to do. And there was one day, I guess I'd probably been thinking about it. I think I was in my younger brother's bedroom and I had this, it's difficult to describe, but I had this flash of knowing. And for me, it feels like almost like a beam of light, like coming down through the top of my head. And it was, it's not words, but just this knowing that um, I needed to go to nursing school, Mm -hmm. which I had never considered. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are nurses in my family. My, um, one of my great grandmother was a nurse and I had an aunt who was a nurse, Um, but uh, two aunts who were nurses, Um, but I had never considered it. Um, But it was just, this solid 
strong message. And at the time, I just thought that, you know, was God speaking to me. And I felt a little crazy, you know, yeah. like, this yeah. is weird. Because <laughs> um, was the communication different from what you had experienced before? It's not like somebody's talking to you like this face to face. How did you... Um, how did you obtain that communication? Was it like hearing a thought? Do you remember? Was it seeing like an, a mental image with your third eye? Was it a gut feeling within your body and a knowingness? The knowingness. And I feel this energy like coming down through my head and it's the thought is just there. Like the, the whole message It's not verbal. It's just suddenly there. Like I've already thought it or heard it and I just knew it. It was just this deep knowing of like, I must do this thing. I yeah. I need to do this thing. So it but it was also very kind of confusing because what do I do with this now? So I kind of upended my life and uh, decided to go to nursing school. And um to do so I actually uh, dropped out of high school and got my GED and then became a nursing assistant. And all of these obstacles kept happening, these things that should have made it impossible to get into nursing school. Um, and then they would just disappear. Mm-hmm. There were at least four major roadblocks. I, like what? I should, the biggest one was to get into nursing school, you have to take a pretest, sort of like the SATs, but it's for, okay. for nursing school. And it was a really long test and I was in this big room with all these people and I didn't finish, I think it was like the math portion of it. And I was really stressed because I was like, oh God, I didn't get all these questions. What am I going to do? I was so upset. I was sure I'd failed. And after you finished the test, you were supposed to stay to um, do a little introduction class about nursing school and stuff. So a little orientation sort of thing. And they were going to give you um, a piece of paper and that piece of paper you had to put in with your final application. And I was so sure I'd failed the test and then we'd get too low of a score to be able to enter nursing school. that I didn't stay for the class. I just, went oh, home. No. I was so upset. I was like, I don't understand. I thought I was supposed to do this thing and now it's not working. And I was so confused. Then like a week later, I got a letter in the mail from the nursing school saying, oh, we're so sorry. The teacher had had an emergency and couldn't come and teach that class. So here's your paper. Ah. And so I was like, well, and I didn't have the score yet for my test. The scores would be sent directly to the nursing school. I wouldn't find out what my score was until after the applications were all due to be turned in. I thought, well, I have this paper. I guess I'll just go ahead and finish the application and send it in and, you know, we'll see what (laughs) my score is on the test. So I did. And then a few weeks later, I got my results back and I'd actually done quite well on the test. And I honestly was like, did they mix up my test scores with someone else? I was like, I don't understand. So it was just things like that. Like, it's so crazy that you know, I, I get this piece of paper I needed. Uh, and I did, obviously, I got into nursing school and started um, the next fall. And uh, I, I liked being a nurse. It was yeah. a good job. I liked helping people. There was a lot of stress, though, for it. I didn't get to spend the time I wanted to actually talking to people, um, actually holding hands when people were in crisis and really being able to be a support person to them because I had so many people with so many different needs. Um, 
But I, I mean, I was good at my job. Um, I also didn't know I had a type of arthritis. I wasn't diagnosed until after nursing school and the, the physical and emotional stress of the job uh, became very difficult for me. So one day I was cooking breakfast. I was making some like hot cereal. And I remember I was standing at the stove and I was stirring it and I suddenly had another like download message <laughs> from yeah. Spirit say, you have to find your child. And I was like, I guess I must have been about 20 at the time. And I was like, no, 21. And I was like, what? Find my child. And it was just, again, this like super strong message. And it took me, so long story short, we ended up adopting uh, two children um, about a year and a half after that point. Um, well, no, it must have been, it must have been two and a half years after that point. Yeah, the adoption's finalized. Wow. And what I didn't find out for many years was um, we adopted from Guatemala and we received uh, a large home study for each child about their life in Guatemala, uh, but they were in Spanish and my son's was translated. And when I was reading through it, I realized that ju just around the same time that I received that message was the time his birth mother was realizing that she could not make enough money to take care of him. She was trying to um, be a, a domestic worker in Guatemala and was making the plan for him to be adopted. And that was the same time I was getting this message to, to you know, go find my child. So wow. I also knew his middle name before I was told his name. Really? Uh, How'd you know that? We, um, we were planning on adopting just one child. And then the attorney called and said, hey, I, there's this little boy. His name's Kevin. He's t about 10 months old. The family who had been planning to adopt him uh, split. They got divorced. And neither one wanted to complete the adoption. So if she couldn't find another family to adopt him, he would be taken from the foster home he'd been in and put in an orphanage. So she was hoping to find someone who, who would adopt him. And so we thought about it all weekend and all we knew was his name was Kevin and he was 10 months old. And I don't know why we said we took the weekend. Of course we were going to say yes for total softies. And um, <laughs> I had been thinking what name would be good to go with Kevin. And I just, the name Alexander just popped in my head. And then on Monday when I uh, called the attorney and said, yes, we, we would like to adopt him and still another child too. Um, she faxed me his uh, Guatemalan birth certificate. And when it came through, I saw his middle name was Alexander. Wow. So, well, it just it, gave me goosebumps. Yeah, it was really nice. It was like kind of reassuring that like, okay, this is meant to be. Yeah, um, complete sign. Yeah. And then for our, the daughter we adopted at the same time from Guatemala, her name is Susana Margarita. Uh, and her, my mother-in-law, um, his name is Susan, and her middle name is Pearl, and it, a margarita uh, means pearl uh, for, you know, Spanish names. Um, oh, so I love that. they have a lot in common, those two. So we felt like that was really kind of another sign it was meant to be, which was nice because those adoptions were so hard. Yeah. Um, the process, it was nice to kind of have that to hold on to. Uh, of course. Um, That's amazing. Were you going to say something else? 
No, no, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love it when spirit sends us those signs, right? Because how long was the adoption process for you? Uh, It was a year and uh, just about a year and a half. Uh, For both of them or for each of them? um, It from the the day we said yes, that we wanted to adopt them to like the day they came home, it was about a year and a half. Wow. Um, so that sign was something that you could hold on to that entire year and a half because, yeah. you know, the mind, it just goes through these ups and these downs given the chemical release in the body uh, happens at different frequencies, you know, throughout the day. And so we do have these down periods. Did you experience any of that? And Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was, there were so many tough times in the adoption and you, you have to, it's a leap of faith, you know, yeah. and, um, but it just, it just felt so right. That's amazing. So necessary. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that spirit gives us the, those signs that we can hold on to in those down times to pull us right back up, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you have another story. Can we tell the other story? Yes. Well, this goes back to the nursing part. Okay. So then, um, then we decided to adopt a third time and I was not working as a nurse anymore. And, uh, is this the one, the one I wrote you about? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. About my baby daughter. So for a third adoption, we really couldn't do international again. And my wife said she wanted a little baby this time. So we had said we're open to a baby up through two years. All along, I had wondered, why did I get that message to be a nurse? Like, what, what was that? Because I didn't really want to be a nurse anymore, my, my arthritis and taking care of my kids. I really wanted to do something different. Um, so I'd always kind of wondered why I had that message so strong. And then we were told it would take about two years to adopt our third child. And it, it actually took t- uh, six weeks. I was in the middle wow. of uh, my last term of working on a bachelor's degree in social work. When we got the phone call that there was a mom who had um, given birth prematurely, uh, very prematurely, um, her daughter was born at one and a half pounds and 10 inches long. And again, there was another adoptive family that was going to adopt her. And when she was born premature, uh, pulled out of it. And would we be interested? Because they knew we were interested and um, or open to children with medical issues or drug addictions and stuff. And it was really scary, of course, but we, we said, yes, we would like to meet her. And we met the mom and then we went to the hospital. I went to the hospital. My wife dropped me off. And the moment I walked in and I saw she was two pounds at this point, this tiny little baby mm-hmm. in the NICU in her little isolate. I'd never seen anyone so small in my life. I was not a baby nurse. I had another message from Spirit that just said to me, you were preparing for her. That's why you had to go to nursing school. And I just started sobbing. (laughs) Um, And that's proved to be absolutely correct. There were multiple times where she nearly died. It was a really, it was really tough years. Um, And I know you have a a child who's had a lot of illnesses. It's Mm -hmm. really scary. Um, I had to use all of my instincts and knowing how to work with doctors and when to say, I'm not going to work with this doctor. Yeah. Uh, Had to put all of that into motion with her. And then uh, we we had some experiences with her 
that that I feel were her angels watching over her. And it made me feel a lot better because I had two young children at home when we adopted her. And so I was, my wife and I both were going back and forth from the NICU and then spending time with our other two children. And it was obviously really difficult. Wherever you were, you wanted to be in the other place too. Sure. And I guess Cheyenne must have been about three pounds at this point, maybe four. We started noticing, you know, they say babies don't smile, but that's not true. Uh, (laughs) We would come in and we have some pictures of it, in fact, uh, that my wife took of her smiling and really looking at something. And you'd kind of be like, is she looking at me? Is she smiling at me? But then you're like, nope, she is not like making eye contact with me. She's kind of looking near me, but not at me, you know, and she would smile and giggle. And so we started saying, oh, it's like, it's her little angels coming to watch her and play with her when, uh, you know, when we would visit her when we couldn't be there. And it kind of helped us feel better for, you know, we did have to leave her every night to go home. So that, that was helpful. But then the really odd sign happened twice when she came home from the hospital Oh my gosh. It was just like a hospital exploded in our bedroom. She came mm-hmm. home. She was on oxygen. She was on tube feeding. She was on apnea monitors. She had breathing treatments. She, um, I had to replace her feeding tube when she'd pull it out. And, yeah. I mean, oh, which was, is like the absolute worst. That was an NG tube. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, the doctors, <laughs> I know at least when we had to do it, the doctors are like, so if you do it this way, it goes into the baby's lungs. Right. And <laughs> if you do it this way, it goes into her stomach, which is where it needs to be for her to get yeah. the nutrition. And if it goes into her lungs, oh, by the way, you're going to have to make another hospital visit. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you're filling her lungs with formula. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> oh my. Oh. That was like the most nerve wracking thing in the entire world. We, you know, we still have the G tube in her tummy mm. and I feel like the G tube is so much easier than oh, the NG because sure. oh, I couldn't sure. do it. I couldn't stick that thing down there. Yeah. Um, and they hate it. I mean, they hate hated it. it so no, much. I would have to call like a friend of a friend of a friend who was a nurse to come over to do it. It's too yeah. hard. Okay. So continue. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, so she just, she, they let her come home earlier than they would for most people because of my nursing background. So she, she had a lot of medical needs still, uh, but it was good to get her out of the hospital. She actually loved being home and she improved so much and so quickly when mm. she came home. Um, it was in a quieter, calmer, more stable environment, but giving her a bath was just such an ordeal. We, you know, we'd have to take her off all of her wires and stuff. And she hated taking baths. She just thought it was so mean. And she was so small. We just bathed her in her bathroom sink. Mm-hmm. And so it would take the two of us and we would undo all of her stuff and try to make it as quick as we could, you know, to distress her as little as possible and stuff and then get her all hooked back up to everything. And one day we were doing this and, um, so she had a pulse oximeter on at all times so we could adjust her oxygen levels. And we had taken it off. Of course, you can't get that wet. So we took it off and it was sitting next to the sink. And I noticed that it's still picking up a heart rate. It's measuring a heart rate and an oxygen amount. And also the oxygen amount it's measuring uh, wasn't making sense. It it was much lower than I knew she had been in the first place because she'd be in distress if it was that low. It was like in the 70s. And the heart rate was also much faster than I knew hers to be because she wasn't in distress. And I was like, this is so strange. How is it still picking up 
a heart rate. And, and all my time as a nurse, I'd never had that happen. As soon as I discontinued someone from their pulse oximeter, you know, the machine stops working almost instantly. So, um, you know, of course she would kick it off loose all the time and it would stop working. So it it went on for quite a while that it kept reading something. I wish I could remember what the number was exactly for the heart rate, especially, and I can't anymore. Um, But we were like, well, this is weird. And we kind of assumed there was something wrong with the machine. Maybe it needs new batteries or whatever. But I was like, maybe it's picking up her angel, you know, who's hanging around her. Um, because many, many, many doctors and nurses told us she was a miracle that like, she really shouldn't have survived and done as well as she is today. She wow. had every reason not to, and she's doing amazingly well today. So she's, she, I feel like she has some, some reason to be here and doing whatever she's going to do with her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she got her all hooked back up. The thing started working correctly again, and we didn't really think much more of it besides just kind of a funny story. And then a couple of months later, she got RSV, which is a really dangerous respiratory infection that a low birth weight, some preemies and just medically ill children can get. And she got it and it, which was devastating. And she actually started to turn blue in front of me and her oxygen levels dropped really dangerously low. And I had to rush her to the hospital and she was very, very ill while in the hospital. That that trip to the hospital taught her to cry. She didn't cry once for the first like four months of her life. Wow. She hated being in the hospital so much. She started crying. I was wondering oh. if she was mute because she really never cried. <laughs> she oh. started crying. <laughs> yeah. So one night we were there and the monitor they had her on kept saying she was in distress when I knew she wasn't in distress. Yeah. And so I was like, Pat, this monitor is just not working correct because look, she's calm. There's no way her heart rate's that high. There's no way her oxygen's that low. Like she's pink. She's not blue. And it was the same numbers that we'd been getting at the other house uh, with our equipment. And so I, we even we took her off the hospital equipment and it kept going on its own without being Get out of here. So it was completely yeah. different equipment. Yeah, it was the hospital, you know, wired into the hospital and everything. Yeah. And, and it was the same numbers. The same numbers. Yeah. And eventually my wife brought our machine from home and we ended up using that for the rest of the time in the hospital, which yeah. was giving uh, the correct numbers again. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and that was such a, a difficult Wow when she was sick that time in the hospital too. So it was nice uh, to kind of get a little bit of that message because we were also, we had a terrible doctor came in and told us she was in his words, neurologically retarded. And that's why she was crying. And then we found she had another hole in her heart. We didn't know about. So life was just weird and scary, but uh, it all worked out. She actually, she healed the hole herself. Um, so yeah. the hole went away. And yeah. No more holes in her heart. No she more three, but they're all healed. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. You know, it's spirit saying just for everybody listening out there, because you know this from being a nurse, and I know this from my education of spending six months in and out of the hospital unit, that you can ask for different doctors. So oh, yeah. we had a doctor who came in and he had done the surgery on Elle's airway a couple of times. It didn't work and it wasn't successful because she had acid reflux at the same time. And he goes, well, we have to trach her. And I said, no, you don't. I, ha- I can talk to somebody else. And at mm-hmm. that point, we asked for the head 
of the unit, the ENT unit, who said, well, you know, we're going to try a couple of things first before we even talk about trachs. Yes. And not that a trach is bad. A trach is life-saving for so many individuals, but it does make it harder for the child to learn how to speak. And Mm -hmm. there's just a whole learning curve that comes along with that. Um, So we did end up going with the head of the unit, working with him and kind of doing some things that weren't your typical treatment plan, but that really worked mm-hmm. for our daughter. And so you, you can, in a ho- when you're in the hospital or um, even when you're not in the hospital, you can always go for a second opinion, right? Yeah, yeah, that's important. We did that a lot with my daughter and I wasn't always popular with yeah. the staff because of that, but um, it was absolutely what was necessary. Right, right. Uh, because just... You know, I don't know why we have it, but that mother's intuition just mm-hmm. kind of can kick in and, and you know what they need too. Yeah. The day that she went back into the hospital, they were supposed to come and pick up her oxygen and her monitor because she hadn't needed it in so long. But I knew she was starting to get sick. And so I said, can we, we please wait? And then yeah. it was because she was on the monitor that I saw her oxygen tank. Yeah and get really dangerously low. And I was able to put her back on the oxygen we hadn't used in months and, you know, get her into the hospital really quick. Mm-hmm. So, You know, it's, it's interesting too, throughout all of my um, client sessions, there's a similar thread that comes up, which is that parental instinct doesn't go away when they turn 18, that <laughs> there are parents right. who have 30-year-old children or 40-year-old children, and you still have that mother's intuition mm-hmm. for them as well. You know, and can we tell your other story? Because I think this is so awesome as well. Your your wife's ex, the, oh, the money. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, so it it was her father. So my oh, okay. Wife, uh, when I was when we were getting ready to adopt the yeah. first two children, we part of it was we needed to show it a stable home. So we were wanting to buy a home, and um, we were we were just financially stressed at the time. We were mostly I was supporting us, and her father had died. almost two years before. And, um, I, there was one night I was so stressed about money. I stayed up all night making lists of budgets and trying to figure things out so that I would have the amount I needed to, you know, finish the down payment and everything on the house. And, uh, I had this specific number written out that we needed. And (laughs) I, the next day, we got, or my wife got a check in the mail and there, her father had had a small life insurance policy we didn't know about. And the check that came was almost to the penny, the exact amount of money that we needed to be able to finish uh, buying the house so that we could then go forward with the adoption process. That so is it, just, it just so felt, incredible to me. Yeah. I was really sad that I never got to meet her father. Um, he died like we'd only gone on three or four dates when he died yeah. and uh but i have a lot of gratitude for him because the, the money that he left my wife uh we've directly used to adopt our three children and then they've all had at different times a lot of medical expenses and so that mm-hmm. money has directly um gone to their medical expenses so we were able to just say you know 
it doesn't matter if insurance doesn't want to do it. You know, this is what they need. This is what yeah. we're going to do. So oh, what a blessing. It was an enormous blessing for us. Yeah. yeah. He wants you to know that he knows who you are and he thanks you so much for taking care of his girl. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Because it is a blessing, but it came at his death, you know, right. so it's yeah. a tough one. Yeah. Um, thank you so, so much, Holly, for being on the show today. I just really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, everybody, if you have an angel story that you want to share, hop on over to Facebook or Instagram and um, share that over there. Or you can reach out via email. Holly just emailed me last week and said, I have an angel story I want to share. And I'd love to feature your angel stories on the podcast. So if you have one to share, a story of signs or hearing from the other side, hearing that divine calling, definitely email me and we will connect to share your story. My dear friends, you don't know what an incredible, huge, huge, huge blessing it is to this podcast when you write a glowing, positive review for us. It truly helps us get the best experts on the show. I know this might sound a little complex, but if you send me an email after you post a glowing positive review here, I will put your name into a monthly drawing to win a free 30-minute angel message session with me. And it may just be broadcast on this show at a later date. Your name will be kept in the drawing every month until you win. When you email me, don't forget to include your name, contact information, and positive review. I hope you win. Tune in for a new episode next week where I'll share tools and guidance that can help you fall in love with your life and start living it from a place of peace, bliss, and ease. Thank you so much for listening to the Angels and Awakening podcast. Until next time, know in your heart just how deeply you're loved on the other side and open up your heart to all of the random, unexpected blessings that your angels and your spirit team are trying to bring into your life right now. Disclaimer, this podcast provides general information and discussion about energy healing, spiritual topics, and related subjects. The conversations and other content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical, psychological, and or professional advice. If the listener or any other person has a medical concern, he or she should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or other healthcare professional. Never make any medical or health-related decision based in whole or even in part on anything contained in the Angels and Awakening podcast or in any of our linked materials. You should not rely on any information contained in this podcast and related materials in making medical, health-related, or other decisions. You should consult a licensed physician or appropriately credentialed healthcare worker in your community in all matters relating to your health. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Again, angel messages, energy healing, and the information you receive here does not constitute legal, psychological, medical, business, relationship, or financial advice. 
Do not take any of the advice given in any Angels and Awakening podcasts or sessions in lieu of medical, psychological, legal, financial, or general professional advice. Please note, Angels and Awakening is a podcast produced by Chicago Energy Healing, a company with locations in Wheaton and Naperville, Illinois. Thank you.